all have questions. Questions about faith, relationships, beliefs, politics, social issues, our planet, and God. But where do you go when you're done with cliches and starving for the conversation to ascend? What do you do when you're struggling to find connection within your community, within your church? Join us, Lauren, Danielle, and Jason, to connect, discuss relevant topics, and try to navigate living in the tension of everyday life as Jesus followers. This is The Outsiders Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Outsiders Podcast. I'm Danielle, and as always, I'm joined by Jason and Lauren, my wonderful, amazing co-hosts. Hey, guys. Hello. How's it going? How are you? I'm I'm good actually. the The weather is gorgeous. It is beautiful outside today. Yeah, and it's like wait, we're in Ohio. Not gonna lie, sun's out. I want the cold (laughs) to come back. Oh, this is we. This is our resident Canadian speaking, though. So, yeah. Well, okay, fine. But the sun is fantastic. (laughs) It feels nice to not freeze. Yes. Well, today we have another hopefully really great episode. Uh, if you're new here, you're jumping into episode two of our Somewhere in Between series. Uh, we definitely encourage you to go back and listen to our previous episodes if uh, you connect with what you hear here today. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about music, which if you've listened to our previous episodes, you probably know is something that we're all pretty passionate about. But today we're specifically going to be talking about music within the context of Christianity, not necessarily just music as part of a church service, but music and the culture that surrounds it within the church. And we're extra excited today because we are joined by two special guests again, um, and both are really good friends of the show. And we also have our first virtual guest. So we are really excited to be extending uh, the reach of this podcast. So our first guest is Max, and Max joins us virtually from Canada, where he was born and raised and currently lives with his wife, Zanika, and their dog, Rocky. He has a background in theology and philosophy and currently works in ministry and runs an online Bible study video series called I Believe Bible. Max is an avid musician and plays tons of different instruments, but his main instrument, which he absolutely shreds on, is the guitar. He is currently in a band called Cozen and is constantly working on other musical projects as well. Outside of music, he loves to nerd out on Star Wars, go for long walks with his dog, Rocky, and cook all kinds of Asian food. He's also my big brother, so I'm extra excited to welcome him to our show today. All right, so Max, you are one of our guests today, and we're super excited to be speaking with you virtually from all the way in Canada, might I add. Um, So welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Uh, first off, uh, before we dive into any you know more in-depth questions, I feel like you need to give our listeners some quick background info about your experience with music um, and you know Christianity and just the role that it plays in your life, just to give some context for what we're going to be talking about today. Right. Okay. So I mean, like I guess the first and foremost most important thing is that I'm related to you. Yeah. That I'm your I'm your older brother. Oh, that is the most. Already. That is the most important thing that anyone. I mean, that is so cute. <laughs> I know, I am. Anyways, um, so, <laughs> but yeah, so um, basically, I mean, I think the both of us would say we grew up in a fairly musical household. Like we we were around it, piano lessons, all that good stuff, music lessons for as long as we can remember, and yes, lots of singing, whether or not it was done well. Uh, often on purpose, not done well, right? I think that was a huge thing in our household. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And um, 
you know, I think both of our parents were pretty talented musically in their own ways. And there was a lot of instruments and stuff. So for me, it was just always like this natural thing to want to play and want to like start a band. Like I think as far back as I can think, that was something I always wanted to do. So, you know, for me, my life has always been like playing guitar in various bands or being a, you know, an on-call backup musician for other artists, being a worship leader at church and, and all of that good stuff. And uh, I guess now I have a couple projects that I work in. One like main band that I play in, which is more of like a alternative metal type of thing. Um, and so like I've been working on that for a couple of years, play with a bunch of really cool guys in that band. We put out an album last year. We're dropping a few singles this year and stuff like that. Um, and it's always been a lot of fun doing that kind of thing. It's given me opportunities to play for other artists as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the long and short of it. Just a musician and a songwriter who loves to play, loves to create new stuff. And um, yeah. And also loves Jesus. I think that's and a also, part of this. Yes. So also loves Jesus. So I think the big thing that I guess happened for me was that like in my like early teens, it was like right around like early 2000s, right? And that's when like this whole new metal thing was happening. Linkin Park and P.O.D. and Limp Bizkit and all those bands were out, right? And that's the kind of stuff I was listening to, including like after church. And I think my parents were kind of just like, I don't know about that. Like, <laughs> I don't know about that. And so there was, I th there was this one weekend I distinctly remember where we went and we hit the local Christian bookstore, right? Because they were going to get me. And I think there had been an attempt at some point before to like get me some Christian rock music to listen to. And that attempt led me to, well, no, what someone got me a Petra CD, which mm. is like this Christian rock band from like the 80s. Yeah, it was dude. Like, it was basically the like Christian equivalent roughly of ACDC, but softer. Um, and so like to me, I was like, oh, wow, that's Christian rock is terrible. Um, and then that weekend I found a couple bands, one of them being Pillar, also Thousand Foot Crutch, a number of bands that were also in that like same movement, that moment in time that I really connected with. And that was like the launching point for me. Like all of a sudden I was like, I don't understand what he's saying this part in the song. Oh, that's from the Bible. Now I have to read the whole thing. You know what I mean? Mm. And it like it launched me into reading the Bible. It launched me into watching sermons. It launched me into like watching entire like and attending bible prophecy seminars and stuff like that like it, it was just a strange thing that hearing the the message of the gospel in like cultural forms that i understood that i identified with just opened it all up to me and so yeah. there's always been kind of this like mixed and blended together passion for like music and then also for like theology and scripture and the Christian faith. And I ended up doing like Bible school for my undergraduate and graduate degrees. Like I have my master's of divinity. And so that's, you know, that yeah. all of that essentially traced back to like hearing Christian music in a form that spoke to me. So, yeah. Right. Because yeah. we've talked about it before. Music is like a language. Mm hmm. Absolutely, yes. Very much like a language. A love um, language. A love language. And I also, I think it might even be better to say like music is like languages mm. because like depending on what kind of background you're coming from, I mean, music, 
people like to say it's a universal language, but it's really not. Like you have to understand, you have to invest yourself to to get it sometimes, you know? And I think that's that's where a lot of intolerance and a lot of bigotry happens is when people just have just make snap judgments about someone else's culture or someone else's background, someone else's values and say like, well, that's not really music or well, that's bad music. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing where I don't think you really learn music and understand music that you don't respect. Um, and so it's like music is like languages. You have to invest yourself in understanding it, especially when it's someone else's. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, so you, you've talked about the fact that you're in a kind of alternative metal band um, and that you guys make music, even, you know, maybe some Christian music. And you're talking a little bit about snap judgments and people not, you know, needing to really invest in uh, different kinds of music to understand the culture and the meaning behind it. Um, so you're in this band, but you guys definitely don't make uh, the kind of music that people typically consider to be, you know, quote unquote, worship music. Um, And because I'm your sister, I know that that hasn't always been received well, uh, especially by other Christians or church members. So can you just talk a bit about how um, your music has been received by other Christians and just the response from people within the church community? Yeah. So I think when it comes to this kind of thing, there's like, I don't know, maybe the way to say it is that there's like multiple levels to it. There's like, on the one hand, there's like just casual disinterest, like that's kind of always there. And on the other hand, there's like the the more extreme, like deliberate opposition. And I've, I've run into that in so many different forms and for so many different reasons. Um, and like, you know, for, I guess, more detailed context, like the band I play in, it's not like the craziest, like death metal band in the world or something like that. Like, it's not that heavy. I do a little bit of screaming here and there. It seems like with the songs we're writing now, I'm doing more screaming, but anyways, it's like, it's like, it has that kind of edge to it. Right. Um, and oddly enough, I think that stuff is in an area, especially at this point in my life, where like church people are just kind of casually disinterested. It's mm-hmm. like they just they don't they're not paying attention. They don't care. I'm sure COVID nineteen has something to do with that because I haven't seen church people in like f- five ever. So, um, but like it, it's this strange phenomenon because I remember like as a teenager when I was really like coming into my fascination with extreme music with heavy music. Um, people would lay it on really thick that like I was a Satan worshiper or that I was demonic. And whether it came from a place where people were joking or whether it came from legitimate concern or whether it was just like mean-spirited teasing, like all three of those angles were there. Um, But that does something to you, you know, especially when you're a Christian who's like discovering your faith and you're actually really passionate about it maybe not by any means perfect, but like really invested in trying to figure out what it is to be a Christ follower. Um, Having the people around you being like, you're demonic, like that does something to the way you think about your faith. Um, So that was definitely a thing. I think one of the more formative experiences for me was that like I witnessed and kind of was party to receiving all these either like website links, video links, or DVD, like burned DVDs of sermons um, or articles or books from concerned members and pastors and friends who are like, 
we you need to know what you're getting yourself into because it's not of God. And here's all this quote unquote research that's so detailed that will convince you. And like more and more, like I was exposed to a lot of that stuff. And I found myself really, really deeply suspicious of it because I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of the arguments were really trash. Um, like just straight up, like biblically illiterate in some instances. But I knew I also didn't have the skill set to be able to like convincingly argue that point. Like I was still like a baby in the faith in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I also noticed that for however much I might have caught a lot of flack for being like the metalhead guy, it affected everybody else too. If you liked rap, mm. if you liked R&B, if you liked EDM, if you liked basically any modern genre of music, it was like, well, you're doing something wrong and God doesn't approve and you could lose your salvation over this. Like you might not go to heaven. Jesus might reject you when he comes back if you don't let go of this from your life. And while I never really intellectually accepted that, there was like a very small window of time where like emotionally I accepted that and that messed with me a lot. So I think um, as far as like where I exist, it's, it's a negative effect that I've seen both on the like heavy metal side of things, but also just on the like contemporary worship side of things, right? Like people will demonize you for either or, depending on where they're coming from. I think it's weird too, because like there are people who know what it's like to be judged for doing like Hillsong and Chris Tomlin music and just being like, I can't stand these old <laughs> folks. Like they're just judging right. me all the time and putting me down. And then they'll turn around and see me and be like, but at least I'm not that demonic guy. And it's just like, really? Like you don't know what that feels like? Really, dude? Mm. So um, as far as it goes, though, like the kind of music I'm making now with my band, it's, I would say, I mean, all of the guys in the band are Christians um, of various denominations, and like we all have that faith walk, but the music we're making isn't for people to sing together at church, right? It's, it's music to be consumed as entertainment, right? We play most of our shows in bars and clubs, that kind of thing, not in churches, um, I think we've only ever played for like a church audience maybe once. Um, and it's interesting because like just in saying that, just in saying like, yeah, you know, I have my masters of divinity. I've pastored a church. My band mostly plays clubs and bars. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like, we get paid because the venue makes its money off of people buying drinks at the bar, right? We get paid from people coming through the door. And like, it, that's almost immediately enough red flags to send most people's Christian parents into like an absolute <laughs> frenzy of like terror and you're causing me to stumble, right? Mm. So there, there's that side of it. And I think it's, um, there, there's a lot of stigma associated with just secular music, the idea of secular music in general. Um, even if it's like, I, I don't think people realize this, but there's so much secular music that is made by Christians and even comes from a Christian viewpoint. It's just not meant for people to sing at church together. Right. But the, yeah. Like the, the motivation is there. So, yeah. Some of the most, I think, impactful music that I have resonated with is not necessarily labeled contemporary Christian, but it's 
it still has positivity to it. Um, there's still the depth and the emotion that you can tell like that there's something different than maybe like a typical pop song that you would listen to on the radio. Um, right. but yeah, your, your experience though, it's a little different than mine. I, I was grinning a little bit of you talking about going to a Christian bookstore and like listening to music. Cause my brother and I would do that all the time. And like, he was the first one in our family to kind of get into like Switchfoot and Reliant K. That wasn't the stuff yes. that we were listening to on the radio that like we were allowed to, but mm-hmm. to be able to find music and, and, and genres that I think spoke to us, that was different than what we were like, participating in church and realizing that there there's music that I think is for corporate worship. And then there's music for other consumption that could still have the same effect of like drawing you closer to Jesus or to understand like the depths of what someone's feeling. So, Mm -hmm. um, I resonate a lot with, with what you're talking about. Um, which is partly why we wanted to talk about this, this subject. Cause I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. would resonate whether it's like you said, rap or even country music. Like there's lots of stuff. There's lots of genres. I don't know about the country music part, but definitely rap. Okay, well, I feel that too, but I thought that I would just throw that in there for any of our listeners who do like listening to country music. Um, But to be able to to, to talk about that and to give um, space to people and yeah, I think just bring attention to what I think a lot of young adults feel Mm -hmm. in relation to music. Definitely. And like Switchfoot and Reliant K are classics. So good on you yes. for bringing those guys up. Absolutely. That's great. Hey, Max, when we were talking, you know, leading up to this episode, I know you talked a little bit to me about um, just like the positivity culture surrounding uh, Christian music and how, you know, you feel like what you are tapped into right now maybe represents something different. Can you um, unpack that a little bit? Yeah, so I think it's interesting that actually when Lauren was talking just now that the, and this is not a criticism at all, I think it's just, it's relevant, that the frame of reference we have very often for like Christian adjacent is the word positive. And I think that's very, very interesting. Um, Since you brought up the idea of like, you know, well, we were talking about the idea of like secular music that's so profound and maybe even proceeds from Christian spirituality. There's an album in the 80s called Stealing Fire by this Canadian like folk rock singer-songwriter named Bruce Coburn. And that album to me is like deeply spiritual. There's like biblical metaphors and imagery all over that joint. Um, And it's cool, but it's also, I mean, the album itself is deeply based on experiences he had while traveling through Central and South America and seeing the hardships that people faced and seeing like the economic disparity and like the ravages of war and terrorism and like all all of these things that people go through. And a lot of it is reflecting on that and finding beauty in the midst of that and also reflecting on the sorrow and the injustice of it all. And I think something that gets overlooked very often, whether or not it's like in corporate worship music or in Christian music that's designed for like consumption outside of that time is that especially like modern Western Christian culture doesn't really have a good theology of lamentation, doesn't really have a full appreciation of the Psalms, isn't willing to touch on issues that aren't framed as positive, so-called. 
And it's, it's interesting to me because you look at scripture, you look at the Bible, you've got the book of Lamentations. It's got like one bright, hopeful spot in the middle of chapter three and everything else before and after that is just this bleak and kind of disturbing despair. Like some of the stuff that's described there, like it describes mutilation and cannibalism. Like it's not, it's not just like, I'm kind of sad. It's like, no, everyone's dead. Um, Ecclesiastes is all about reflecting on your mortality. I was reading Ecclesiastes 7 this week, and it actually says at one point, like, it's better to go to funerals than it is to go to parties. Crying is good for you. You should think about death. Um, Not that that's like the best way to live your life, but like you do need to reflect on the fact of your mortality if you're going to like actualize a meaningful life, right? Um, The Psalms, just think about how much vengeance and like violence there is in the Psalms. It gets glossed over because we just proof text the pretty sounding ones. But like, can I give you guys a specific scriptural example that like absolutely kills me? Be still and know that I am God. Like the characteristic label verse for everybody's personal quiet time, right? The problem with that and the problem with the way people use that verse is that the entire psalm leading up to that line, be still and know that I am God, God is speaking to armies that are rampaging across the earth and destroying things. And then he says to them, shut up, stop it, I'm God, right? And people take that verse and say like, oh, that means my personal quiet time with the Lord, when in context, it's God like, bashing back the armies and the forces of evil. And it's just like, well, why do we gloss over the dark side of life? Why do we gloss over pain and lamentation and mourning and even like anger, right? Like all of those things are there and they are like blatantly expressed in the Bible to the point of it being like kind of, you you almost have to go do apologetics sometimes. Cause like, wait, why is the Bible so disturbing? you know, Mm -hmm. but artistically it's willing to go there. And so I think that there is some kind of mental disconnect between Christians and the scripture we claim to believe in. Um, Yeah. That's what I have to say about that. No, absolutely. I, everything you just said, I totally resonate with because a lot of times I like to say, you know, especially some Christians are like, oh, we read the Bible literally. And it's like, okay, do we, or Mm -hmm. should we be reading it literally? Within right. its context, everything you just said, because because the scriptures are raw and they are real about real life. We just like to mm-hmm. sugarcoat it and give it a little positive alternative. Um, yeah, which I think is you know you're you're moving forward with that, and I, I really appreciate that how they value that. Uh, so thank you for that. Here's the thing, though. So you've spoken a little bit about how people have responded to your music, and honestly, and I appreciate your honesty. You've talked a little bit about how it's been harmful to you personally, but really I'm also wondering, like, has it affected one way or another your walk with Jesus, how people have responded to your music? Yeah, I think, so I I did kind of mention this, but I, I think there was like a short window of time where I kind of bought into the idea that like God didn't approve of like modern music styles and that there was something we're not supposed to do, whether it's like certain types of beats or sounds are just inherently wrong. It's um, like, I, like God's favorite genre of music is 17th century European style and anything exactly. outside of that, he's not okay mm-hmm. with. Pretty much. But in like the, the crazy thing is that like 
people will never say it in those words. But if you push on the logic hard enough, it almost always means like 17th to 19th century Euro-American white music. In terms of my personal journey, personal spirituality, I think for me, the biggest problem was that like trying to find my life path with the like in reference to the institutional church was very difficult for me, especially like denominationally speaking. I'm like, I feel like this is the community I belong to. I feel like this is the theology like about the Bible overall that I resonate with the most. And yet also this same group of people is telling me that there's something inherently wrong with something that I feel mm. very called to, something that I feel like I'm, is a gift of mine that I'm supposed to use. And that was a lot of cognitive dissonance, to be honest. Um, I don't know if I fully thought this like explicitly at the time, but looking back, I can say for sure that like it affected my, the, the path of my life. It affected where and when I chose to go to school. Um, you know, I studied like in a multi-denominational context because I said to myself, like, I know there's something wrong with what the pastors and elders and concerned aunties and whatever are telling me about music <laughs> and worship. I know I can tell there's something wrong with it, but I don't have the vocabulary or the skill set to like explain it. And I need that. And I need to go in an environment where I'm not having like people from my own denomination exclusively staring over my shoulders, just being like, are you doing the right thing? Um, and so like, I essentially, I got a degree that had like zero hireability attached to it because I got a <laughs> theology degree from outside of my own denomination. Um, and it was just like, okay, cool. And that, like, that had you know, practical consequences for my life. Um, and so like, I never really found myself like outright feeling rejected by God, but I did often at times feel like, why are you guiding me down this ridiculous circuitous path? Like, it, mm -hmm. is this really weird? Why would you give me gifts in an environment where people expressly don't want them? Mm. Ooh. Um, I think that that's really important to note because I don't think that people understand how harmful their casual disapproval or passing comments can be. You know, I, I mean, not that you have not found success in life because you absolutely have, but just you being able to say that your life path has absolutely been affected by the things that people told you, uh, you know, within the church community and the, the opinions and, um, you know, assumptions people have made or whatever. I think it's important for people to know it's not just a matter of, oh, we have differing preferences. Like these opinions and these comments have an impact and people need to yeah. know that. Yeah. I think people get into this hesitation like, oh, it's just an opinion. Can't we have different opinions and, and still be friends? And I was like, well, not if your opinion, like by you holding it, you're holding me back. You know what I mean? Like if, if your opinion and the fact that everyone else around us says you're supposed to think this way, if, if that is like deliberately setting me back or like crippling my ability to make decisions, then like, how is that fair? You know, how, how is that just purely theoretical? And it's right, not, like, it's, it's very practical. Right. Like we can have differing opinions on like pizza toppings, but not, you know, my worth and salvation based on my music choices. Right. It's like, oh, you know, like let's totally take communion together. And then like shortly after, I'm just going to be like, you're of Satan. And it's like, I'm pretty sure you just blasphemed. Like I'm pretty sure that's blasphemy. Uh, you shouldn't do that. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, well, especially I think the issue is when we attach an opinion with the morality. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that can have some, you know, pretty dire consequences. And like, there's just, there's also like good old fashioned discouragement that comes with it. Like I remember voluntarily leading worship at one church we were at for a really long time and like pushing really hard, trying to get people to engage, trying to be creative, try to keep them interested, try to do a good balance between like contemporary songs and hymns and stuff. Like, you know, just trying to be like, I'm trying to be a thoughtful worship leader. And like the number of times I saw grown adults, like, stomp out of the room in anger because there was drums or like there was this one guy who would sit near the front and he would put on construction headphones when praise and worship started like big Stop. ones that everyone could see i this is this is the thing like i've been working on like a, a web series talking about like the crazy misconceptions people have about music and the more i look at the kinds of things people get away with saying in in church like conservative pastors who just want to like spout off their uneducated opinions. Like it, at the end of the day, the other side of this gets to be as blunt and as rude and as openly mean spirited as they want. And I don't ever want to be openly mean spirited, but I don't think it should ever be sugarcoated. Like it's not, it's not a difference of opinion at the end of the day. Like knowledge is possible. I think truth is real. Like I really do mm. believe that truth is real and because of that, it's possible to point at someone and be like, sorry, you don't get to have your alternative fact. So, sure. so after everything that, you know, you've kind of spoken today and telling us your story, what is the takeaway that you want people to have from this conversation? Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the first thing would be that, like, you have to be really careful before you put a stumbling block in the way of someone's life path. Um, especially mm -hmm. if like God is leading them in a direction that is not necessarily for you. Mm -hmm. I think of the story like in John, in John's version of the gospel, where after Jesus has been resurrected, he's having breakfast with his disciples by the, by the water. And he's just reinstituted, like he's kind of reconciled with Peter after that whole denial thing happened. And Peter then notices John and he's like, well, what about him? And Jesus says to Peter, excuse me, Peter, what do you mean, what about him? What if I want him to never die and stay alive until I come back? What is that to you? You follow me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is something that a lot of Christians need to reclaim and rediscover and really embody. Um, we do a lot of trying to like poke our noses into the business Jesus has with other believers and try to say mm -hmm. like, well, what about that guy? Can't I control? What about her? Can't I control like where you're leading her? It's like, you don't control anything. We all just bow down to Jesus and say, yeah, I'll go. Where are you going? You know? Um, and to expand on that point, I think especially when it comes to musicians, um, there's a certain narrowness in a lot of people's concept, obviously in a lot of people's conceptions of what constitutes as like the Christian's path in music. Um, but when you get to know music and culture for what they really are, you realize that it's like almost infinite paths. There's infinite ways that you could approach it. And I think that there needs to be a greater openness to the idea that there are Christians who are called in whatever artistic field they're in or whatever creative or design or scientific or di whatever discipline to be engaged in the broader culture, not doing things only at church, but like being out and about 
interacting with their peers in their field. For musicians, that means like sometimes you're the Christian band that's not for Christians. You know what I mean? And there's so, like you can name so many of them um, that I think people take for granted. And what my band does in like the local like hardcore and metal scene is totally not what someone's Hillsong cover band is going to accomplish if they were to try to come to the same place. And that's fine. They serve different purposes. Contextualization is everything. And I think we need to give people more flexibility in finding different avenues. Um, so yeah, I think it's really about thinking outside of the Christian faith tribe when it comes to understanding the arts. Um, because when it gets too insular, I think we end up spinning ourselves in circles and missing the point. Um, what else? What else could I say? Yeah, absolutely, um, it's good. There is no singularly heaven ordained genre of music. I think that's pretty clear if you read the Bible, because you just won't find God ever commissioning a music genre for Himself. Um, yeah, that's it. I think that's my main thing: is like Christians being free to follow wherever Jesus leads and become cultural ambassadors. Um, yeah, yeah, I I love that. I think. I think that that's a really great takeaway and we really appreciate you being willing to be open um, about your story and to be vulnerable. And I mean, every time I talk to you, you're my brother and I've known you my whole life, but I just feel smarter <laughs> at the end of our conversations because you're just so, you know, knowledgeable and well-spoken. So oh, I hope thanks. that other people feel that way after listening uh, to what you said, because we really appreciated your story today. I'm glad you guys were willing to have me. And honestly, like, this podcast you guys are doing such a great job like just off launch like it's it's impressive the amount of work that's gone into this so i'm honored to be part of it yay <laughs> so you. good dude thanks max it was awesome clouds on fire caught between a perfect day and a night a better dream inspired a wish for something more out of this life I'm making up for lost time Got a new frame of mind Felt the summer rising inside Somewhere I've never been Coming home again Summer never ends Sunlight transcendence Between earth and heaven Our second guest today is Taylor, who is here with us in the studio, which is super exciting. He is almost finished with his master's degree in youth and young adult ministry and is a longtime musician who loves electric guitar, drum singing, and songwriting. Taylor is an avid reader who you can always count on for a solid book recommendation about theology, songwriting, and pretty much every topic in between. Mm outside of music. His passions include finding cool new coffee shops and eating lots and lots of Mexican and Thai food. He also thinks that Parks and Rec is better than The Office, and you can fight him if you want on that. I feel like we're going to have to fight on this. <laughs> well, hold on. I, I need to clarify. Better? I am right here with you. What? I need to clarify. It is better. I will stick to that statement, but they're also very different. Just because one is better doesn't mean the other one is not good. Can okay. That's fair. That's okay. fair. 
Yeah, no, I'm super pumped that you're here, Taylor. So just tell us real quick, briefly, um, tell all of our listeners like your experience with music and its place in your life. Yeah, so my experience with music, um, it's kind of always been a big part, an important part of my life. Um, this kind of ties into my story, actually, in joining the church, joining the Christian church, the Adventist church. Um, but yeah, growing up, um, my family was not a part of any Christian church, any, anything mm. like that. And um, But I went to a Christian academy, a Seventh-day Adventist academy, K through 12. And uh, around like middle school, I think is what it was, when we, we joined the church and um, became Christian. And, and that's kind of when I started getting into listening to music more, I think. Mm. I, I don't remember like listening to a ton of music before middle school, which I don't know if that's a thing or not. But anyways. Do you remember also, like some of your favorite like middle school artists? Oh, I do. I do. <laughs> well, it's like all like the Christian artists from like the mid 2000s. So just think like old school Jeremy Camp. Oh, like, okay. The early 10th Avenue North stuff, like just all that, all that good stuff is great. And I still listen to that stuff frequently. That's my little secret. Like I still go back to those like mid 2000s okay. jams. It's great. And that's, that's actually when I started playing music too, was like late middle school, early high school. And um, I, I had taken like piano lessons growing up and I had taken guitar lessons and played the drums. I think I played every instrument except for like the kazoo. Why not? I, I mean, I don't know. I just, maybe I'll pick that up at some point. No, I, play, I played all these things growing <laughs> up and I quit everything because, you know, as a kid, you're like, I don't want to do this. And anyway, so going into like late middle school, early high school, I uh, kind of dove back into guitar and I owned a guitar and from when I was younger. And I remember the chaplain at the high school was like, hey, we need someone to lead uh, worship for chapel. And I was like, oh, cool. I own a guitar and I have a voice. So I guess I'll just do So this. you're in. So bad, man. I hope there are no videos. Uh, it was so bad. And I just would get up front and bang on that guitar and bang out a few chords and sing some the stuff. The same four chords. Oh, yeah, because that's I was worship music. D-A, right? Yeah. It, was it was great. It was great. Right. Four chords and a capo and you're unstoppable. <laughs> yeah. and, and also like playing in the youth band growing up. And I I just kind of got stuck off to the side and played acoustic guitar. Like I was the, I was the second acoustic guitar in youth band. You have to be really bad to be the second acoustic guitar in a youth band. I I, I'm bad. assuming there was like one other person. There was band. another person on acoustic, <laughs> and I was just like the backup right. acoustic. I didn't Were you sing. Even I just plugged did, in. Like, oh, I was plugged in. I was plugged in. Oh, you plugged in. That's so true. Because sometimes we do that. Anyway, yeah. No, I was plugged in. I was plugged Don't in. Don't give all our secrets away. <laughs> so yeah, so that was kind of my my entry point, and just since then, I've somehow stumbled into playing it a lot more, and people have let me stand on a stage and do stuff, and make a fool of myself at times and have a good time. And yeah, just overall, like I, I love listening to music of all, all sorts. Um, kind of all your like Christian bands or Christians that are in a band, like are all my favorite bands right now. I feel like I'm just, we're just going to go ahead and say it. <laughs> Need to breathe. Um, Switchfoot, Colony House. I love like the indie rock sort of scene um, mm -hmm. and music vibe. And yeah, that's, that's just kind of my thing. And I'll listen to whatever. I don't really, don't really discriminate. So, yeah. So you and Max exist in, in pretty different worlds um, when it comes to music. Tell us about your experience with worship leading and music specifically within the church. Yeah, so I, I guess that kind of follows up on that last part about uh, playing in youth band yeah. <laughs> being acoustic guitar number two in the mix. And um, so that was kind of where it started, just being awful 
But I, I mean, at the time, I thought, wow. Like, you think I'm, you're a rock star. Oh, my gosh. I thought yeah. I was. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't think I was that great, but I thought it was pretty good. Like, you think you're slash. Be honest. And then my friend. I, oh, for sure. My friend, Austin Cassell, if he's out there. Hey, Austin. We would like just the two of us, a bass guitar and an acoustic guitar. We just get up and rock it at chapel every week. And so that was kind of the start. And then I went to college and somehow someone let me on a stage there to play music and lead worship. And I think there may be videos from that. There may be. But anyway, so that's kind of where it started uh, with me, like actually getting more serious about worship leading and playing music. And that was, man, worship leading, uh, youth band, all those things. Those were, those were kind of the start of my music experience. Um, did some like, just like side project stuff with some friends in college and a little bit after college and just kind of wrote our own stuff for a little bit. It was fun. And because you have to have your own band at some point if you're a musician. I mean, come on. Even if you're not a musician, yeah, I think everyone... I, I think everyone is in a band yeah. at one point. Yeah, you at least got to be able to... Usually right around 6th, 7th grade. I feel like... Hashtag oh, no. Band. Mine was in college. We, I didn't get the... Maybe I just wasn't... No, no, youth band. That counts. Oh, that counts. Okay, okay. Yeah. We'll count that. So yeah, um, that was kind of the extent of it. And uh, started playing in churches more, playing at my college. Because if you've gone to a Christian college, you know that there are endless opportunities to play music everywhere all the time. Mm -hmm. So really uh, kind of cut my teeth there, just playing for anything and everything my first couple of years and uh, playing at some churches, um, playing at a church in Michigan called Radiant Church right now uh, in Kalamazoo. Um, and then also playing at Southbrook Christian Church for all the Daytonians around here. Um, and just Shout doing out. some stuff at, at Kettering Seventh Avenue Church. And yeah, so it's super fun. So what is... What does worship leading mean to you? Wow, that is, I don't know if we have enough time for that one. Uh, worship leading, that's, that's a tough one to boil down. I love being involved in, in music uh, in any capacity, whether I'm just like on the side of the stage or up front singing or leading or whatever, whatever I'm doing. Um, but I think there's a couple things that make it meaningful is when I can do it with other people um, because I think we were created to be in community and I think music lends itself to us being in community mm -hmm. uh, in this one place experiencing this one thing right now whether you go to like a U2 concert or whether you go to a church service or like music just unites people and mm -hmm. it's super cool mm -hmm. um, and the reason I say that is because that's how we were created is mm -hmm. to be in community and that's how God created us uh, the other thing is um Worship leading to me is like, I don't know. I feel like I've kind of had to just view myself as just one of the one of the people in the room worshiping. And it's like, man, we could hand the guitar off to someone else and let them stand on stage. And that's cool too. Um, I don't really have any like grandiose like terminology for that. Like we're all on the same level here. Like I could hand the guitar off to you. You could lead a few songs. It doesn't matter. Like I just want to be in this place worshiping God and yeah, sort of it. I know when we've had conversations before, you've said, and I really liked this line, so I wrote it down. You've said that music is your contribution to the movement of the kingdom of God. What What do you mean by that? Yeah, so um, I'm going to try not to jump ahead of myself here. Uh, this actually ties in, again, to youth. Man, I owe a lot to, to Ben Mushan, wherever he's at right now, <laughs> in youth band. Um, yeah, so... As I mentioned, like when my family and I joined the church, that was 
one thing that really got me involved, and it actually wasn't even at my home church that I was in youth band. It was at this church um, here at Kettering. And, and uh, that was one thing that allowed me to take ownership of something in my early faith journey as I'm learning about, you know, theology and God and all these things. Um, youth band or music at the time was something that was, I was able to take ownership of, like, I'm going to play these four chords well on this guitar. And um, I think that's a super important thing that I, as I've looked around at some of my peers that maybe have left or, you know, have left the church or whatever it may be, or people that I've seen that have grown deeper in, you know, in their, their faith journey or, you know, gotten more involved, the, the thing that seems to be a key thread woven into all of this is, do you have something to take ownership of mm. uh, within your faith? And do you have something to contribute to? And that's where this, this kind of idea of, you know, the movement of the kingdom of God. And, and it's, you know, Christ, Christ came to obviously die for us, but he also came to bring God's kingdom here. And that's part of what we're called to do. Um, and you, you could go deeper into that, but, but what are you doing or what am I doing? What are any of us doing to, it, to advance the kingdom of God here? Maybe that's doing a podcast or maybe it's leading worship or maybe it is running a small group or maybe it's uh, doing what Alan is doing and, helping us mix and master and record this whole podcast because mm-hmm. Alan, you're the goat mm-hmm. wherever you are. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that's kind of the idea behind that. And I think that was really, it became apparent to me that taking ownership of something in that movement is super important and mm-hmm. crucial. Yeah. I love that idea because it, I think that to be in relationship with God, it can't be passive. And there is that that idea of taking ownership is like, what's my side of the street? What's my responsibility? And I think what's so beautiful about being part of a church community is that it doesn't just, not everyone was given the gift of musician, musicianship. And so there are so many pieces too. It's, it's like what, um, is it in Galatians when it talks about the parts of the body that all... Um, like Jason, con- you look confused. Contribute, you contribute to like one thing or the, or, or the other, and and so to to be able um, to own like the talents that that God has given you um, in in music, and then to also acknowledge like that there are other parts too for other people, even if it's behind the scenes, it's not on on the stage, like there are so many things that people can get involved in and be a part of the, the church community um, that not only furthers the kingdom of God, but I think when you have that ownership, um, you are glorifying like who God is and what he's doing in your life. Yeah. You hit it spot on. It's in, in all of my youth and young adult books that I'm reading and you know, I'm hearing all these things about, you know, why youth are leaving the church or why this or that. And, and, and I, I don't know, the thing I return to is like, do you have something to take ownership of? And because so often church has become now, I mean, in a society where it's very consumeristic and this isn't so much, maybe it's a rebuke, I don't know, but um, it's like a buffet with churches. Like mm-hmm. I go to this church for my worship, especially with live stream stuff. I live stream this church mm-hmm. and I do it too. So I'm just, just saying it like mm-hmm. I go to this church for my music. And if you have kids, it's like, well, I go here because, you know, I have, they have children's programs for my kids or I go here because they have, you know, 
like just baller young adult programs or whatever it may be. And it can be so easy to find ourselves as the critic of like, this pastor's message is not getting through to me. Like this is whack, whatever. And there's something to that. But at the same time, like how can I, how can I find something to own on myself and just crush it? So Mm -hmm. it's, it's finding a balance between the two, because I think there is also something to be said for, Mm -hmm. am I getting fed? 100 percent but am i feeding Mm -hmm. so yeah i really like that i think that you definitely explained um my question so (laughs) good job Um, but recently so we're good (laughs) recently you've said that you've kind of had to take a step back and take a break from worship leading um can you tell us just a little bit more about why you felt it was necessary you know you've talked about how great it was to own something and to really be involved but why you did feel like it was ultimately necessary for you to take a step back and have that season of rest. Yeah, it was a super fun time in my life. Super fun. Um, so my first year in the seminary, um, I kind of entered, I don't want to say burnt out. I definitely wasn't cynical towards God or the church. And I don't even know if I was totally burnt out. Um, I think I just was like, going through a quarter life crisis. Is that a thing? That is a thing. Quarter life crisis. It is. Yeah. It's it's quarter, I, I think there's a song about that. There's a song about there that. There is a song. Shout out to Judah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no. like, and I think we actually talked about it in a podcast once. Okay, maybe I just made that up. But I yes, think you well, made we that did that. now. I, I definitely <laughs> talked about the quarter life crisis. It's a thing. It's a thing. And um, I, I kind of was going through that and I just was deconstructing a lot of things. Um, like, what am I doing on this earth and what, like, what do I believe about God and, and what do I believe about what it means to be in ministry and, and share Jesus with people and what am I trying to do for a career and, and just, you know, it's a crisis, you know, mm-hmm. like we said, all the questions. And yeah, that, that definitely made my life pretty challenging. I think those were some of the, maybe that singular year was, and I'm only 27, but like probably the hardest year of my life. Um, being in seminary and like, what, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> uh, just questioning a lot of things. And at that point, like I had led a lot of worship in undergrad at college. And, you know, after I graduated, still led a lot of worship, but coming back to grad school, asking all these questions, I was just like, man, I have to step away. Like I'm not really burnt out. I'm not really that tired. I'm not cynical towards God or the church or anything. I just have a lot of questions and I don't feel like it's sincere right now for me to get up on a stage and sing about Jesus. Right. And I was just going to say that because I don't, honestly, I have no idea where you're going with this, but I feel like that there's, that's got to be a part of it where you're leading worship and you're making these declarations about who God is and how real he is. But sometimes like, you have to have the space of honesty within your own soul and you're like, no, I, I, do I believe this? I want to believe it, but in this moment, do I actually believe it, right? And it almost feels like there's this internal battle with just being honest. Yeah, there was, there's, I think it's two levels. Like there on one level, it was like, do I believe like you are good? Do I believe that you're never going to let me down? I'm just going to quote one song. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> do I believe all these things? And on another level, it was like, yeah, I think I still do believe a lot of these things, but am I passionate enough to sing about this? Mm. Like what I love about, you know, going to a concert to see like bands that I love or just music in general is seeing someone sing with like passion. Mm-hmm. Like they're singing from their soul. And I was like, man, I'm not worshiping from my soul. Like I'm not singing anything from that point. So why the heck am I getting up on a stage or whatever and leading other people in that? Like, 
And yeah. it, it was all personal. This isn't to throw shade at anyone else. It, it was just personal. I was like, I don't feel comfortable doing this right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a lot of pressure for people who are in worship leader positions or just leadership positions in general in church to have a certain type of attitude or, you know, whatever, when you're up there that people can feel that you're really in it. I mean, I know I've been criticized whenever I'm involved in worship leading and Taylor and Lauren are laughing because we often do music together and I have some pretty bad RBF. And when I sit there playing the piano, I've been told multiple times by people that they just feel like I'm angry the whole time. And I'm like, no, like I was just, I was so excited about Jesus, but like people, people see how you are up there and they have opinions about it. And I think that there can be a lot of pressure, especially for people who are um, often and consistently relied on to be those worship leaders that can really bring the spirit in before a sermon or whatever to bring people into that atmosphere of worship. And I can only imagine how that pressure can eventually wear you down a little bit and, and kind of mess with where you're at in processing however you're feeling and stuff. Yeah, it was, I, yeah, you hit it, the nail on the head right there. And and for me in that that season, I, I kind of just like, because again, I wasn't really burnt out and I was like, I, I still loved worshiping and worship music, but I was like, I don't feel comfortable leading. So I, I actually got a lot more into like, well, how can I still contribute to this, but not singing and leading and putting worship sets together. So, um, I got a lot more into electric guitar and uh, started doing that a lot more, which I owned an electric guitar because what, you know, Why kid not? growing up, yeah, I, <laughs> every guitar player's had some, you know, crappy electric guitar growing up. So anyways, I got more into that, like that year was when I kind of went pretty hard into that and playing for worship a lot more. And it was nice because it allowed me a space to still contribute and still be a part of, of worshiping and, and all of that and the movement of the kingdom of God. We'll go back to that, that point. Um, it allowed me to do that without being in a leadership role and I could still be involved, still be connected, which was when I kind of got involved more at like, uh, actually this is when I started branching out more from uh, churches within my denomination and going like the two churches I mentioned, like serving in non-denominational churches and kind of expanding my, my idea of what worship was and my experience and and it's been a super good experience to do that and it's just yeah so that season honestly was like three years ago and i feel like i'm totally in a different season from that now but that led me to this point i know um recently you've started leading at radiant church and that's where again grand rapids is that Uh, kalamazoo Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo, somewhere in michigan and um (laughs) i know i remember talking to you after your first time leading there and you actually got to lead with Corey asbury and I remember you talking about um, just how cool of an experience it was. And I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, he's just a normal guy. He's just a normal, cool fellow. Just a silly boy. Like for all of those, us. Yeah. And for those who like don't know who Corey Asbury is, he's the one who wrote and sang Reckless Love, which is like a worship banger for most churches. A worship banger. Thank yeah. you for using my terminology. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, my friend Tim and I, um, he's a little drummer guy who I play a lot of music with. We got involved at Radiant Church in Kalamazoo because we're like, man, we just want a church that we really believe in the mission and the vision and what they're doing. And we'd attended there for maybe a year or so. I'm like, let's get involved here. Let's, you know, start playing music here. 
so yeah, got involved there um, several months ago. And yeah, my first time on, I, <laughs> I played with, uh, with Corey. And Corey, if you ever hear this, you'll now know how nervous I was. But like, <laughs> I was so nervous. I, my fingers were so stiff and uh, I made all the mistakes. Yeah, I, I remember in our pre-worship kind of talk through, uh, Corey and his wife, Anna, his wife, Anna said, she's like, guys, just one last thing before we go on. Like literally no one cares if you screw up, like we're not here for that. Like we're, we're just here to worship. And if you make mistakes, that is okay. And of course I heard that, but as I'm playing and screwing up and (laughs) just causing chaos, I did not (laughs) feel that. And, uh, yeah, Corey just said to me afterwards, like, man, maybe this is, maybe this is just the Lord taking away your perfectionism. As I kind of shared that earlier in the weekend that I struggle with perfectionism when it comes to music and yeah, just hearing those words from him and the team and just like the affirmation that came around me was like, it's okay to, to not be perfect in this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's a really cool place to lead worship. And I think that, you know, what I've learned through that experience and, playing at this church and also at Southbrook here in, in Dayton, like everyone is just contributing to, to God's kingdom where they're at. And it's, it's just different for everyone. And, and I just re- need to remember, like return to a place of simplicity, like, dang, it's not about my perfection. It's not about, cause I'm definitely not perfect or great, even though I thought I was in youth band. Um, <laughs> and just like bring my best, bring my best offering, my first fruits every time I play and let God do the rest and just remember that it's worship. So so some of my musings, I guess, as I've re-entered the worship scene more recently. Yeah, it's good. So what do you want people to take away from this conversation? There are two things I would say. And the first is find your thing, whatever it may be in whatever capacity you are gifted in or whatever capacity you can serve in. Um, find your way to contribute, like find your, find your thing to take ownership of. Maybe it's worship leading. Maybe it's playing an instrument. Maybe it's, uh, you know, cooking food for people after church, or maybe it's teaching a a class on, you know, Sunday school class, Sabbath school class, whatever it is, or, or maybe it's taking people under your wing and, and, you know, mentoring some people Mm -hmm. that no one knows about. Like (laughs) maybe it's something that's not up front at all, but finding your thing, um, no matter where you're at, because this is a thing that like is not limited by age or experience. Mm-hmm. Like you can find a way to contribute and be a part of your church community, and like you don't need any skills for that. You just need to be willing. Like willingness is all that you need, and a servant heart, and humility in those things. Which, yeah. So that's my that's my first, I guess, takeaway. Um, the second thing is related to that, and. I think it's for maybe anyone who is in or has experienced or will experience because you will at some point burnout or questions or, you know, maybe you're in a season of deconstructing stuff, which is great. Please deconstruct everything and then reconstruct it after that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe you're, maybe you've been hurt by the church or, you know, by specific people in the church or whatever it may be if at all possible, make your first answer not to leave. And I say that considering that like some people have had traumatic experiences mm-hmm. in the church mm-hmm. and, and not downplaying that at all. For sure. But speaking to the majority of, of us, like maybe you do need to leave. Maybe you do need to go somewhere else. Maybe you do need to join another church. Maybe you do need to join a different denomination, whatever it may be. But 
make your first answer to not shut down and leave or disengage um, because at least in my experience or what I've noticed, like that's when the downfall happens is mm -hmm. like when people say, I am refusing now to engage, refusing to contribute, whatever it is, then you're just like drinking the water but not replenishing it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're, not, you're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. And I think I really learned that in my season of like when I had to step back from from leading worship and I said, okay, how else can I contribute to this? And for me, it was playing electric guitar. It was, you know, stepping in and doing different things other than what I had been doing. It was a different season for me. So yeah, that would be my, my second and last thing. It's just like, if you've been hurt by the church, like if you've been, if you've been hurt by maybe God seemingly like, don't, don't walk away. Don't let that be your first option because at the end of the day, like we're all just a bunch of silly boys and girls in the church and we all just do dumb stuff. And I think we have this idea that like when we enter the church, we are different people. And yes, there's a degree to which we are different, like, but there's also a large degree to which we are the same, like, and Sometimes we get frustrated that, you know, this person hurts, that person hurt us. And there's validity to that 100%, not mm -hmm. downplaying that. But yeah, what'd you expect them to do? They're people. Yeah, and broken people. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's, that's just how it is. So I, I say that not to downplay that, but, or maybe your struggle is you're asking questions about God or whatever it is. Any of these things, just don't disengage. Try and find ways to engage and push through it, even if it's really hard and it really sucks. And it may, it may mean you have to let go of something to pick something else up and that's okay. So yeah, just a little, little word of encouragement. Yeah, I think that's good. I also like, as you know, Rob Bell and like to read him, but I also like to read Andy Stanley. And I'm pretty sure Andy Stanley says uh, something like this, where your complaint is your ministry, hmm. uh, right? So if you're in a church and you, you complain about the music, or you complain that people aren't friendly or you complain about the food or, you know, oh, it's so dirty or it's so outdated, you know, it's so irrelevant, the Sabbath, the, the teaching or whatever. Um, no, if, if you're complaining about it, chances are someone else is complaining about it too. Mm -hmm. And that just became your ministry to, to do something. And uh, so, yeah, I totally agree. I think that's great. Yeah, I think, uh, thank you both for being here and for um, answering these questions and talking a bit about music and, you know, everything that surrounds it for you guys today. I think it's really impactful for me to listen to you both tell your stories um, and just understand the way that different people experience music and worship differently and ultimately, you know, like how Taylor said, contribute to the movement of the kingdom of God. And I think that Max and Taylor show two different stories of how, of, of what that can look like. And, you know, I think a lot of the tension we see between whether it's different denominations or within the same denomination, different cultures, or just Christianity in general um, comes from preferences, whether it's music or style of worship. And I think it's, if, if I've learned anything or been reaffirmed of anything today, it's, it's that the differences are so necessary mm -hmm. if we're all going to contribute to the movement of the kingdom of God, whether it's within a church or in the bar scene where Max is doing his music or whatever, you know, where, what's your calling? What's your ministry? And, and understanding that stepping into that is necessary, whatever that looks like. Thank you guys again for being here today. And uh, we really hope that we can continue to have more guests and create connections with people who have such uh, great stories to tell and bring such meaningful um, experiences and wisdom to our podcast. 
Join us next week for our final episode of our Somewhere In Between series. That's all for today. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of The Outsiders Podcast. Special thanks to our audio engineer, Alan Clark. Music throughout this episode is by Common Man Music and Cozen. Also, a special thank you to Judah and the Lion and Johnny Swim. We always appreciate hearing from you, our listeners. Rate and review our podcast. It helps the show become more discoverable. If you like what you've been hearing, share with your friends, families, neighbors, and coworkers. If you'd like to connect with any of us, all our contact information and social media handles are located in the show notes. See you next week.